Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you all. Missed you last week. My wife and I were in Austin, Texas, visiting old friends, which was lovely, and I thought Daniel Watts did a fantastic job with the first four, first four verses of uh, chapter three. Uh, so chapter three, Colossians. We are marching our way through this book. Uh, we will finish it in December. And I think chapter three, I keep saying this, you know, this gets right to the very heart, every, every passage, but I think what chapter three does, it gets to the heart of Paul's ethics of the Christian life. Okay, this, this is like if, if you only had one chapter in the New Testament that captures Paul's vision of the ethical life in Jesus, I think this would be as good as it is. And, and to summarize Paul's ethic, it's this statement right here, be who you are. Okay, that's Paul's ethics in the Christian life. Be who you are. And he'll start with a couple chapters saying, this is who you are in Christ. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is what has happened in you. And then the ethical life is, so be who you are. Okay? So before we look at this, I want to remind you of who you are, what a Christian is according to Paul. Okay? And let me tell you first what a Christian is not according to Paul. And this is important to hear. I said this a couple weeks ago. A Christian is not just someone who believes a set of beliefs about the world. I believe there's a God. I believe God sent his son Jesus to die for my sins, right? I believe that through faith in him, it's, a Christian is not just someone who believes a set of ideas about God. The reason I know that is the book of James says, even the demons believe, right? The demons believe all of that, and they're not <laughs> saved. So what is a Christian? Well, I think in Paul's language, a, a, a Christian is someone who through faith has been united to the person of Jesus, okay? Through faith has died to an old way of life where they were in charge, where they called the shots, and has been raised to a new life where they're now united to Jesus, and he is their Lord and master, and he determines their life. That's what a Christian is, someone who through faith has died and been raised with Jesus. Okay, let me just show you a couple places. We've talked about this. This is all by way of reminder. Chapter two, he says this, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. What happened to you? You died, you were buried, and you were raised with Jesus. Last week's passage, look at verse one of chapter three. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Right, look at verse three. For you have died. <laughs> okay, this is what a Christian is. Someone who has died to an old way of life through faith in Jesus, been raised to a new life where Jesus 
is everything. I was reminded this week of a statement Paul makes in, in the book of Galatians. This is right at the end of the letter to the Galatians. Listen to this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here's the phrase that really caught me, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, when I came to believe in the cross of Jesus, there was this relationship that I had with the world that has forever been changed. The world has now been crucified to me, meaning when I came to faith in Jesus, the world is dead to me. I look at the world now with its treasures and its pleasures and all the pursuits, and it's just lost. It's like it's dead to me. I look at him, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with this. Jesus is what impresses me now. And I've been crucified to the world. The world looks at me now as a Christian and says, we're not very impressed with Paul either. This guy isn't much. It's like there was a love affair that I had with the world, and when I came to faith in Jesus, that was severed. And there's, it's, it's just changed. I'm still in the world, but I just hold loosely to all the things that people carry and, and hold so tightly to. It's just a different relationship now. Look at the end of our passage. He says, um, you have, again, verse 9, you've taken off your old self. You've put on the new self. And look at how it ends. Look at verse 11. It ends, but Christ is all. And Christ is in all. The world's been crucified to me, right? But Christ now is everything to me. And he is in me. This is, it's a new creation. This is what a Christian is, all right? This is Paul's view of what life in Jesus is. You've been united to Jesus. You've died to the world. Jesus is living in you. And he is what you want in life now. That's what it means to come to faith according to Paul, okay? So all that to say, this is who you are. Now chapter three, so in light of that, be who you are, <laughs> okay? You died and you've been raised, so how do you live the ethical life? Put to death things that belong to your old life, right? And put on these things that belong to your new life. So today what we get to do is look at the put to death side of that, put off. We're gonna get a list of nasty things, two lists actually that we're to put off. This is not the feel-good sermon, okay? We have to wait till next week for that, sorry. Right, next week, chapter 12, then put on, clothe yourselves with these things. Are you with me? Okay, so today we're gonna look at put to death, things that don't belong to your life anymore in Christ. He's gonna give us two lists, and I'm gonna split those into three categories. Here's the things we're being put to death. Sexual immorality, greed, and hostility, okay? And I'm just, the forewarning, this is not a feel-good passage, okay? Some of the things Paul says here are gonna kind of slap us across the face a little bit, potentially. You're gonna experience conviction. And I wanna encourage you today, the worst thing we could do is feel the hit of this and then just kind of move on and keep going. I wanna encourage you, if you are convicted, feel that conviction. Experience it, don't move past it, sit in it, and bring that before the Lord because what Paul wants to do, I think, is call these things out so that we might experience forgiveness, so we might experience freedom. We're not, he's not trying to stick us into, our, into shame where we stay there, but he wants healing for the Colossians, for God's people. So if you experience conviction, go, mm, yeah, that's a good thing because that can turn me 
to the Lord because maybe I've been asleep in sin for too long and I'm, I'm caught up in stuff that belong to an old life. There's no future in these things because I want to encourage you to sit, stick with this and bring it to the Lord that you might experience his healing and his forgiveness. All right, how's that for a start? So let's take a look at these. Um, let's look at the first list. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, that old life, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And I want to start today with that, first, that last word, greed. Put to death, greed. Okay? Now, what is greed? Um, the Greek word here actually literally has within it the word more, okay? And that's what, what greed is, right? It's this, this inner desire to have and acquire more, usually more money or more possessions. Uh, greed has nothing to do with need, <laughs> right? It's that insatiable thirst for more. And, and one of the central Tenets of Jesus' teaching is that we have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his kids and who provides what his children need. You can't miss that in Jesus' teaching. My father will provide you with what you need. And Paul echoes that in his teaching. One of my favorite lines of Paul is 1 Timothy 6. He says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Amen, right? And we, of all communities, we are a community who, for whom God has richly provided many good things for our enjoyment. And, the, and the, the person who's living the new life in Christ recognizes this, sees all these things that God provides, and there's the word inside of them that echoes, and it's the word enough. God, you, you provide enough. It's a heart of contentment a heart of, of gratitude, a heart of peace that says, you are a good provider and you provide me with enough and more than enough. Good things for our, my enjoyment. And this heart is one that recognizes what Jesus says in Luke 12. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's a phrase you might need to just like repeat several times a day if this is something you struggle with. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. My Father has provided everything I need. And all this stuff that people chase after, it, that's not where life is found. There's not greater joy and happiness waiting for me with more of this stuff. It's just simply not where life is found because life is found in Christ. And what greed does is it trades that joy and that contentment for a restlessness. Right? This, this striving that says more, 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 just, just a little bit more, maybe 10% more, right? Just a little bit more. And, and notice, what does Paul call greed in this passage? Look at, what does he say right after greed? What does he call it? Yeah, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul says greed is worshiping another god. What greed does is it looks at God and says, I'm sorry, you just don't do it for me, right? I need, I need more. I need, I need more. Maybe I need another God, money, stuff, who will provide me with true security and true significance in life, true satisfaction. I think this other God is going to provide for me what you're not providing for me. And here's the real challenge. Let's get kind of real here. 
Greed is, one of the things that's so hard about greed, greed is so insidious, okay, for a couple reasons. One is, uh, greed doesn't often look like ugly and nasty, right? Like, sometimes greed just looks like wealth, right? Greed just looks like really nice homes and really nice cars and really nice clothes, and that doesn't look nasty, that looks really nice. And I, I'm not saying that everybody who's wealthy is greedy, okay, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when you're swimming in the kind of wealth that we are swimming in around here in Orange County, that is a perfect breeding ground for greed of all kinds, right? And, and so it's insidious because what gets normalized in a place like we are is, is really unparalleled levels of wealth in the history of humanity. And so that, that is just a, a perfect breeding ground for, for, for greed. That's, that's dressed up in really respectable clothes. And so it's, a very, it's an insidious uh, danger. And the other thing that, that's really insidious is I think not many people actually identify as greedy, right? Because, because wealth is always relative, and so we're always comparing ourselves with people who have 10 to 20% more than we do, right? Like when you think of other people's homes, when you think about what you want, you're, you're never like thinking about the person who makes like three quarters as much as you. Right? We're always thinking about that neighborhood we'd love to be in or that house we'd love to have or you, you name it, that life we'd love. We are always comparing up. <laughs> and so very few people identify as greedy when the reality is we all in this room are like top three of the world's wealthiest people. So you do the math, right? <laughs> we're all there. But, we're, but it's entirely relative. It truly is relative. And so it's, it's just so easy to not think, or to think, I know greedy people in this room, and they're not me, right? And so it's, it's an insidious thing. It is, it's one of the great spiritual strongholds living in plain sight. And I mentioned this a couple, a couple weeks ago, but um, we as elders, we have been just stepping back, thinking about our community, just praying, Lord, what do you want us to notice? And... And this is the thing that we have identified, at least we may be right or wrong, but in prayerful time, this is the thing we have identified as the key spiritual stronghold in our community, is this issue, wealth and greed. Um, we have dubbed it the Laodicean problem at Grace Fellowship Church. And if you know the book of Revelation, um, there's seven letters to seven churches, and the last church is the church of Laodicea. And this was, this was their issue. And of course... I'm just saying, we've identified this not from a place of judgment. We, we are saying, this is us. <laughs> okay, this is a place of confession, not judgment, just so you know. But I want, I want to just tease out the Laodicean problem. I want you to see what Jesus said to this church and go, do I, do I experience this myself? Okay? So here's the Laodicean problem. Um, there is a symptom of this church, and the symptom, Jesus says, you guys have become lukewarm. Your faith is lukewarm. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but you're lukewarm. So they, they had lost their, their, that white hot passion for Jesus. They still believed in Jesus, but they lost their passion for him. Okay? They came in in their services. They sing songs, but they aren't filled with this joy and passion for the person they're singing about. Right? They read their Bibles, but they're not filled with this, this deep passion for the truths that are there. They've, they've become lukewarm. And he says, here's the, um, here's the cause. This is Laodicea. It's because you say, 
I have grown rich. I don't need a thing. And they had. They were a very wealthy church, and they developed a sense of self-sufficiency, right? Like, who needs God when you have modern medicine and you have all the comforts of life in this world? And right, you kind of don't need him as much. And that's what they were, not out loud, but this is what they're saying in, in, their, in their hearts. I don't need anything. But Jesus says, you don't recognize your true spiritual condition. Spiritually, you are poor, blind, and naked. Okay? And so here's the result of that. Jesus ends his letter by saying this. Look, church and letter, see, I'm standing at the door and knocking, meaning in your sense of self-sufficiency, I have actually been pushed outside of my own church. In all your pursuits of the world, I've slowly been pushed to the sides and I'm asking to be let back into my own church. Okay? He wasn't entirely gone. He just wasn't at the center. He'd been pushed aside by all that the world offers. But this is what it feels like for this to be an issue. Like, yeah, Jesus is, he's there. He's part of my life. But he's not at the center. And there isn't a passionate, just devotion to him. It's been choked out by so many other things. That's the Laodicean problem. This is something that we have identified. We are going, this is us. We're in this together. Lord, what, we don't know what we do about this, but this is something to continue to pray for because we think this is a stronghold, probably in any church in Orange County, okay? It's not personal to this church. But Paul is going after this issue of greed, okay? And he's reminding the Colossians, he's reminding us, remember, you died to that old way of life. The pagans run after things like that. That's not part of your life in Christ. So put it to death. So let me just pause there. That's a lot. <laughs> That's one of three. That's the longest of the three. I'll let you know. But I, I invite you just to take a moment and, and look at your life, okay? And look at your heart. Again, God has blessed this community. That is not something to feel guilty about, okay? Richly provides for our enjoyment. But I, I want to invite you just, as you consider, just think about your money right now. Think about the possessions that you have, Think about the accounts that you have. How much is in them or is not in them, okay? Just think about the, your kind of collected stuff. And as you, as you sit with that, what, what is the word that echoes in your heart and mind? Is it more? Like one more upgrade, maybe one more remodel, right? a little bit more. In the account, is that kind of what stirs in you as you think about what God has given you? Or is the word enough? Like, more than enough. I am so good. Like, I'm so taken care of by God. And th there's, no, there's no fulfillment in more of that. that. More is not going to help me in any way. Enough. Gratitude. Contentment. And I just invite you, if, if that's something that you're like, ooh, that's, as I look inside, that's something to bring to the Lord. And we'll spend some time at the end just offering these things to God. All right, so um, that's the heavy <laughs> topic of greed. And now we're on to the light topic of sexual immorality. <laughs> Sometimes preaching is not fun. I'll just tell you that much. Um, 
Let me read verse 5 again, the first half. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. I started with greed because I was thinking about, I think, you know, sexual immorality is basically a greediness in the sexual arena, right? And just with stuff, the scripture says God provides us with stuff. Um, God also provided us with sex. God is the author of sex. And anytime sex is talked about in church, I think that's the first thing that needs to be said because this is such a trigger for guilt and shame. And like, this is just a bad thing. And we have to remember, God invented this beautiful thing. And you read, you read um, uh, the creation account. You read the Song of Songs, right, in the Bible. It's these wonderful celebrations of this beautiful gift that God gave his creatures. And of course, God gave this gift in a particular context, right? of a lifelong covenant commitment between a man and a woman. And that is the context where God says, this is the place where there will be trust and intimacy and protection and safety, uh, where this wonderful gift can thrive. And it's intended to be this beautiful, uh, multi-dimensional, relational experience, right? And really what, what sexual immorality is at the heart, it's a, it's a greed, it says, I want more of this. I want this thing outside of this beautiful context that God has created it for. That's essentially what it is. And in the first century, Roman society, um, where when this was written, uh, that more had broke, I mean, sex had broken loose from, from the original context. I mean, it was kind of, it was very permissive, anything goes society. And of course, here we are, 21st century Western society, and I'd say we're in a pretty similar situation today where um, just about anything goes. I was thinking this week of what has happened to this gift in just the last 60 years of our culture. Okay, let me give you three plot points. Uh, first, you got the invention of the pill and birth control, uh, where sex became disconnected from procreation. That's a, that's a big deal, okay? Then, of course, we have the sexual revolution of the 60s and onward, where sex became disconnected from relational commitment. And now in the last 20, 30 years, we have this explosion of digital technology where sex has been disconnected even from an embodied connection, where you can experience something with someone who you are not even present with. Uh, I heard this quote this week. I love this. The magnificent, multidimensional, marital sexuality of the Bible has been shrink-wrapped into a flat-sided, single-dimension, materialistic package, right? So sad that this... This beautifully complex and relational thing has been reduced in our culture to a cheap commodity, right? Are you tired? Are you stressed? Are you lonely? Right? Here's a, here's a quick fix. So sad. And that's just, that's what we're living in. And so I want to invite you right now, and for some of us this is a big thing, for some of us it's not, but I want you right now to think about your own life and consider what is the temptation what, how, what's the form that that temptation takes for you, okay? So it might be engaging in sex outside of marriage, premarital, extramarital. That might be where your struggle is. Uh, it might be in a thought life. Right? As you just go through your days at work or in the community or even at church and you see certain people and there's a, there's a thought life that you let run, okay? It might be pornography, Okay, this is kind of like the silent reality in churches today, the big one. Mainly an issue for men, but increasingly in the younger generations, young girls, women also. 
Uh, or maybe it's um, what I call the, the soft porn, which is TV these days. And, um, and I want to actually speak into that one today. This is kind of, this is now just Dave. It's not Paul talking, this is Dave talking. Um, I mean, I think porn is, the big, is clearly the big issue in the church today. I mean, it's, it's a massive issue. But I actually want to just talk about the viewing habits of churchgoers. Because as I just kind of hear conversations, as I kind of perceive what I think is accurate about what people do, my own take, again, you can argue with me afterwards, is that we have a lot of people who, who are rationalizing and justifying watching things that really have no place in the life of like someone who's deeply committed to Jesus. Okay, that's my, that's my take. We could talk specific shows if you want at some point, um, but I won't. But um, there is some subjectivity in this. I get that. But I was just reminded of this passage in Ephesians 5. Here's, here's Paul's level of subjectivity. <laughs> but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, okay? For this is improper for God's holy people. So whatever your line is, Paul's line is not even a hint, okay? Not even a hint. I remember um, when I was growing up in high school and, and our generation and people were dating in high school, the question in youth group was always, remember, remember the question you always asked? How far is too far, right? Remember that? How far is too far? And the, what we're asking is like, can I, I can kiss her, can I, I can hold her hand, I can touch her here, but I can't touch her here. We can do this, but we can't do that, right? How far, I wanna know what the line is. How far is too far? But the, um, the heart behind that <laughs> was very much like, I wanna, I wanna know what that line is, so I can go right up against that line as far as I can go without feeling like I've, you know, I've crossed over into something wrong. And, and my own, experiences, I think a lot of people, when it comes to what they watch, they think of it in that term. Like, how's, how far is too far? I want to know, I want to come up as close as I can to that line and, um, and maybe stop there so I don't feel just downright bad about what I'm watching. And I think, you know, there's much, other, there's much better questions than that. Like, how can I please the Lord with what I put before my eyes? Like, my body belongs to Jesus. Is this show more likely to bring me closer to him or more likely to bring me away from him? And if the answer is the second, then I've got my answer. Um, I heard a line from John Piper years ago. Uh, oh, there it is. Um, that you just heard as well. Um, and it felt like a throwaway line at first. Sex is not a spectator sport. But I, I've thought a lot about that statement. I think it's actually a really profound statement. Like, God never designed sex to be observed. You ever thought, like, when he created this great gift, he did not envision in his mind people observing this thing. Sex is designed to be experienced, to be one of the partners in the encounter, in the context of a covenant. That's the only way God designed this thing. And so I think that's like an interesting grid. Like if you are ever watching something and you're watching two people have some form of sexual encounter, to tell ourselves, God never intended for me to see this in this way. It's not how it was designed. And seeing it in this context right here on the screen will inevitably distort and pervert and hurt my experience of it in the one context where God has designed it. I promise you, experiencing it here will never be helpful for your experience of it here. It will bring ideas, expectations, distortions into this for both partners that will never be helpful for you. 
Right, there's a great, there's a great, I saw this guy had a, a computer, uh, he was at Starbucks, and on it he's got a sticker, and it says, porn kills love. And there's, I think it's an organization. And that's such a great line, right? My experience of this here is going to kill my experience of this here. It's not a spectator sport, right? And so Paul is saying, this is this, it's like greed, right? It's this, I, I want more of this thing than what God has designed. And he's saying, guys, that's part of your old life. Put it to death. It, it doesn't belong. It's, it's part of your past. It's not part of your future. Let it go. Put it to death. And he gives us, we've got one more list. I'll be fast with this last list. Um, but before we get to that last list, he gives us two powerful motivators to put these things to death. First, he looks back at the past. Look at verse 7. Actually, this is the second thing he does. You used to walk in these ways, okay? And the Colossians did. These were not Jews. These were not conservative religious folks before they became believers. These were, these were pagan Romans in Roman society. This was the way they lived. And he's reminding them, that's your past. That doesn't belong to your future. But then he does point to the future. Look at verse 6. This is, this is heavy. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming Right? Jesus is going to return, and he's going to judge the world. And these are the kinds of things that he's going to judge. So you don't, you don't want to be partaking in these kinds of things. He says it even stronger in Ephesians 5. Again, this is not fun message to preach, but I think this is important. Okay, Listen to his language here. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater right, there's that same language, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Sexual immorality, greed, these are the things that God is coming to punish. And he says, don't be deceived with empty words. Empty words would be someone that comes alongside you and says, oh, no, no, this is not a big deal. Don't worry about it. It's okay. This is not a big deal. It's like, don't be deceived. This is what God is coming to judge. So he's not asking for per perfection, okay? We'll talk about it at the end. But he's reminding us, this is, this is an old life. This is the world. These are the things that God wants to judge. You don't want to be a part of that, right? Put this to death. Let it go. Move to your life with Christ. You with me? All right, let's look at this last list, and I won't spend much time on this because we'll actually see the positive of this list next week, and so I'll really spend the time there. But I love this. Um, verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, okay? What are those? These are all, these are relational qualities that, that are basic when people still carry within them this pride and this ego, right? And you throw a bunch of people with egos in the same room together, egos that are easily triggered, people who, who are like, I want what I, what I want, and I should, be, I should be noticed here and recognized and respected when I feel like that's not happening. These are the kinds of things uh, that come out in relationship with each other. And look at that list again. Um, not a bad description of much of our world today, is it? I mean, you think about the political arena, um, you think about media today, online media, uh, business, even sports, even the church sometimes, 
Um, you see a lot of, a lot of this. Um, I, I, I have a couple of good friends who are lawyers, and um, w- when I hear the kinds of trials that lawyers have to deal with, um, the word, I was talking to a friend just this last weekend, and the word that was coming up is like, people can be so petty. You know, like, like the, the kinds of things that, that people are suing one another for. And I was like, I'm hearing these stories, I'm like, this is kind of like what my five and seven-year-olds used to kind of go after, but, but these five and seven-year-olds have multi-million dollar companies, you know, and, 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 and multi-million dollar homes and all this stuff, but it's like this, it's, this, it's just that base selfishness and pettiness um, with lots of uh, resource, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, it's so, it's so petty. But this is what we see so much in our world. And Paul is saying that that is for people whose egos have not been crucified, right? who, who haven't learned humility. And this, that kind of life has no place in, in the people of God. And let, me, let me turn to this. I love this, this last part. Look at verse 9 again. I love these last lines. We'll talk more about these next week. Don't lie to each other. And here it is. Since you've taken off your old self, right? That's not part of you anymore with its practices. And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, here meaning in the church community, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Okay? I love that. You know, so often when we come into a room full of people, the natural thing to do is to, to figure out where do, how do we measure up? We start sizing people up, right? I wonder what, what, what this person makes. I wonder where this person lives. I wonder if this person's a Republican or Democrat. What's, what's the college team of their choice, right? We start finding these categories. We want to size people up. And Paul's like, no, not in this community. In this community, Christ is all, right? We step in and there's one thing that we're passionate about that we all share in common, is Jesus Christ. And he says Christ is not only all, but Christ is in all. It's beautiful, right? We walk into this room, and what I see most about you is not any of those external things, but I see Jesus Christ is in you. You have trusted in Jesus. He's died for you. You have experienced the same forgiveness I have, and the same spirit that is in me is in you. That is what I notice most about you, not what you make or, or how you vote or you name it, right? And that's why he says here there's no, there's no Greek or Jew, slave or free. We could say male or female, right? Um, rich or poor. Those categories don't matter in the body of Christ. It's not that they don't exist, but they don't come close to what unites us, which is Jesus in each one of us. And so that's a beautiful vision for unity. And we'll look more about how we live out that unity next week. Um, But such a beautiful vision, especially in such a divided world today. Okay, I'm going to stop there for now. We'll continue on with all the good of putting on next week. Um, We've looked at the old life. (laughs) Greed, sexual immorality, hostility. And I want to just leave you by, as you've heard these things, where is there, if, if there is, where is there a conviction? Where do you go, oh, yeah, I needed, to, I needed to hear that today. And so identify that thing for you. And here's Paul's call. He says, if you've identified that thing, here's what you're to do with it. Put it to death. Okay? 
Meaning, I think, at least, don't coddle it, right? Don't flirt with it. Don't try to get to second base with it. Don't keep living with it. No, no. Put it to death. Be ruthless with it. It has no place in your life. There's no future for you in that. I know that you might find pleasure in it. There's no future. That's part of a dead life. Let it go. And the only way I know how to do that, he doesn't really give us a lot of practical advice on the how-to here. Um, Easy to say, put to death. But all I know what to do is to take it and say, Lord, here this thing is. Like, this is a big part of me. I can't, I can't put this to death. And so I need to just offer it to you. I need you to crucify this thing. I need, I, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm offering it to you again, maybe for the thousandth time. I need you to put this to death. And I think what I'd what I leave you with is this. Um, we are not going to reach perfection in this life, right? I, I understand that myself and all of us are going to struggle with things till the day we die. But here's the question you want to ask yourself. Can I, with integrity, say, I have declared war on this sin in my life? That's what we want to be able to say, right? If someone were to look at my life and the things that I have put in place to try to fight this sin, the relationships I put in place, the vulnerability, the bringing this before other people, not just keeping it to myself, but having relationships where people can pray for me, I can experience trust, accountability, right? Are there systems that are in place that are important for this area of my life? Would a person be able to say, hey, this this person isn't perfect, but it's clear to me that they have declared war on this sin, right? That's what we want to be able to say, that we can stand before Jesus when he returns and, and say, hey, I'm a broken person. And, and this sometimes, sometimes this sin got the best of me. Um, but I can say with integrity, I fought the good fight. And he can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I think that's, that's the invitation. Certainly not perfection. But fight the good fight. Bring others into this. Do this together.